0: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Ezra, chapters 8 through 10.
1: Verse 35. Also the children of those that had been carried away, which were come out of the captivity, offered burnt offerings unto the God of Israel, twelve bullocks for all Israel, ninety and six rams, seventy and seven lambs, twelve he goats for a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. I want you to notice how many bullocks were there? Anyone? Twelve. Why? Can't hear you. One for each tribe. There weren't ten lost, is my point. Okay? There were at least representatives of all twelve. And... Uh, Ninety-six rams and on it goes, okay. And they delivered the king's commissions unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors on this side of the river, and they furthered the people and the house of God. Now, it's a, a copy of the king's edict. It was given to each of the, uh, the Persian officials there, so they knew they had authority. And so they helped carry out the wishes, uh, the king's wishes, under Ezra's leadership. And this causes the surrounding peoples to assist the Jewish community. It's interesting that this uh, chapter really ends with an interesting climax, that God's hand is so evident on these these people that even the surrounding peoples help help them with their their, uh, ministerial activities. Okay, we're in chapter 9. Now, that all sounds pretty good, things going well, except, again, they're losing sight of what they should be doing. Let's let's just jump in here. We're going to discover that this this next section, this next chapter just opens up with um, a statement about the severe sin in which the people had fallen. Chapter 9, verse 1, now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel, notice it doesn't say Jews, it's Israel, okay? We're obviously, we're talking about Jerusalem, we're talking about the The the, the bulk of this is the southern members of the southern kingdom. But, anyways, the people of Israel, and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. In other words, what they're doing is exactly what caught them, got them to into the Babylonian captivity in the first place, some more than seven years earlier. And so that's the, that's the thing that they're facing here. Verse two, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves. In other words, they're they're intermarrying with the, with the pagan surrounding tribal units. They've taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that they, the holy seed, have mingled themselves with the people of these lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. First person singular is Ezra is now speaking of himself as a player. He's been he's been acting as a historian, but now that you can tell he's a participant. He said, "When I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and sat down astonished." So he's upset, and uh, when he said, "the you know the princes, the leaders came to me." that implies that these were probably men that had returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel some many decades before and established themselves uh, as leaders and they've been looking into the problem and they and uh, obviously with Ezra coming back this apparently caused them to uh, to uh, come to terms with the fact that they'd fallen from what they were supposed to be doing and they realized something had to be done if the nation was going to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. The whole reason they came back, the whole exercise was to reestablish a, relation, a national relationship with the God of the covenant. And uh, they've got to do something about it. If they're going to reestablish, see, the outward sacrifices are fine, but they um, need to be in, in, uh, accompanied by an inward conformity to God's laws. And uh, that's what Hosea 6, verse 6, you can add to your notes. Emphasize Micah six verses six through eight etc. So these Jewish leaders are telling Ezra that the problem is that some of the Israelites have been involved with their pagan neighbor neighbors detestable practices and also that they include even marrying marrying them. You need to realize that one of God's primary prohibitions was that His people were not to marry outside the community of believers. That's in Exodus thirty four and Deuteronomy seven. Emphasize that. And it's not because of racial differences, it is strictly because of, because uh, both the, both, they, they were all of s- s- same race, Semitics. And, and no, it's uh, strictly religious. If God's people married outside the, uh, outside of Israel, it, that's what got them in trouble in the first place with Solomon doing that very thing, taking on the foreign wives. And that, thus, then that quickly get them, gets them caught up in pagan idolatry and idolatrous worship. And, uh, so. The uh, the fact that they uh, married people who did not worship Jehovah uh, was symptomatic of the way the people regarded the other aspects of the law. If they would break that aspect of the law, that's the most intimate of personal relationships, they'd probably break the law in less intimate relationships as well. Now, the people that were listed in the first verse of this chapter are the very ones that they were warned about before in Deuteronomy seven. As well, of course, as the surrounding nations as Ammon, Moab, and Egypt, and so forth. But uh, anyway, obviously, Elijah's response is uh, typical of the prophets of the Old Testament, if you will. Tearing his tunic and cloak, and pulling his hair, and so on. An expression of extreme grief and anger. Verse 4. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening, at the, and at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities have increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. You notice he's praying for the nation, but he's including himself in that. He's he's identifying himself as as being responsible for that guilt. And uh, since the days of our fathers, have we been in a great trespass unto this day? And for our iniquities, have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of kings of our lands, to the sword, and to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And uh, he's reacting with terms like <coughs> he's ashamed, disgraced. See, apparently, what's grieving him is in part is the exile in Babylon, the seven years captivity, hadn't done hadn't cured them of what they were sent there because of. They, they were sent there because of this very thing. They've been 70 years in exile from the land. Now they've had a chance to return to the land, and they're back at it, just like before. And uh, he, he speaks of it like a flood that has you know, engulfed them, higher than their heads, the, the sins that they're into verse 8. And now for a little space grace hath been showed from our Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in this holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen. See they're in bondage again. They're free of Babylon but they're in bondage to sin. That's what he's alluding to. God hath not forsaken us in our bondage and hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it, it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. So they're back in bondage in effect. Now therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever." After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that Thou, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and has given us as such, given us such deliverance as this. See, they're without excuse. But um, um, the foreign marriages, in effect, had contaminated Israel, fostered the foreigners' prosperity. Weakened Israel spiritually, and decreased her opportunity to enjoy the land, uh, uh, crops, and so forth. Verse 14, Should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst not thou be angry with us until thou hast consumed us, so that there should be no remnant or escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous." For we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. And so (laughs) that ends the chapter. chapter, We get right into chapter 10. Now, by the way, I might notice that Ezra's prayer is Ezra chapter 9. There's another prayer we're going to examine in detail shortly. And that will be Daniel's prayer of Daniel 9. The two famous prayers, Ezra 9 and Daniel 9. Daniel 9 is famous because it was interrupted by Gabriel. We'll talk about that subsequently. But let's go into chapter 10, the last chapter of the book of Ezra. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore." So apparently he had an impact. Apparently they, they were responsive, if you will. And there's a guy by the name of Shechaniah. Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives... And such as were born of them, according to the counsel of my lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We will also we we also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. So the people are acknowledging the reality of the predicament they're in. They apparently, their 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 hearts in the right place because they realize that this is sin. This is a this they have distanced themselves from what God would intend, and uh, Shecaniah's suggestion that we just deal with it aggressively and uh, put it in effect, put it behind us. That's a very grievous thing. That's a very tough thing. You'll see that. Uh, so these leaders are 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 joining Ezra and bemoaning the sin and so forth. And this guy, this one guy, Shechaniah, proposes this. Uh, he, in effect, is suggesting that the people covenant before God to divorce their foreign wives and to send them away along with the children. That's glibly said. Can you imagine the trauma? Can you imagine the upheaval? Can you imagine the, the social stress here and the bitter divisions that would obviously accompany some of this? Now, if the, if the foreign wife had become Jewish, had been a proselyte, she could stay. So part of the dilemma is to try to evaluate that in 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 real terms. So Then arose Ezra and made the and made the chief priests the levites and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word and they swore. They entered into a oath. Now that binds him. Because if you no one tells you to make an oath but if you do make an oath the Lord expects you to keep it. Well, in this case, they, they did. And so, then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johan, uh, the son of Eliashib. And when he came hither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he warned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together into Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeit and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. Now that's pretty heavy. In other words, he would lose, in other words, those that don't show up lose all their legal rights. They're cut off out of the, the, the covenant relationship. They're, they forfeit all their goods. All their entitlements, heavy stuff, heavy stuff. and uh, But they took an oath before God to do that, and so they're enforcing it. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin, and those are the two tribes that are dominant. That's not the only tribes really involved, but Judah and Benjamin were the bulk of them. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together into Jerusalem within three days. And it was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God. Trembling because of this matter, and for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to the increase to, to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do this and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. Heavy stuff. Tough, tough easily, easily, easily spoken of. Tough to do. Point of day was uh, three days after the proclamation, somewhere in November, December, of the year four fifty seven. The people were gathering. A rainstorm was in progress, obviously, and uh, it is the rainy season then. But uh, because of the threat of the oath and so forth, they came anyway. So Ezra addresses the group, pronounces their guilt. Challenges them to acknowledge their sin and do something about it by separating, and uh, and they agree to. But the people were many. Excuse me. The people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without. Neither is this a work of one day or two. For we are many that have transgressed in this things. So now let our rulers of all the congregation stand, and let the, all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at an appointed times, and with them the elders of every city and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. And only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikva, were employed about this matter, and Mishelam and Shabbatai the Levite, helped them. The children of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain chief of the fathers, after the house of their fathers, and all of them by their names were separated and sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. And uh, so, it would seem, by the way, from the saying of the verses, this whole matter took probably, uh, it was just a matter of a few days, about three months to go through all this. And... uh, so they, someone suggested that every man that had taken a foreign wife should make an appointment with the elders and judges of his hometown, and let the matter be adjudicated locally. And that makes a lot of sense. Good suggestion in that sense. And uh, they could decide whether there was a they, the, the people involved were proselytes you know, or not. And uh, four of the leaders opposed the plan. We don't know why, but uh, at least one of them, by the way, was guilty. We'll find out in verse 29 before we're through here. But. Uh, and they made an end with all the men that had taken strange, uh, strange wives by the first day of the first month. And among the sons of the priests there were found that had taken strange wives, namely the sons of Joshua, the son of Joze- uh, Josadak, and his brethren Messiah, and Eliezer and Jerob and Gedalia. And they gave their hands that they would put outweigh their wives And being guilty. They offered a ram of the flock for the trespass. And then it lists a number of these, of sons of Imr, Hananiah, and Zephadiah, and of the sons of Harim, Messiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, and, and so on. And, and, and uh, it goes right through these lists. Of the Levites, there's a whole handful of those. And the singers also, Eliashem, Porter Shalom, Delam Uri. More of Israel, the sons of Perosh and Remiah, and Josiah, Malachiah, and Maimin and Eliezer, Malachiah, and Benaiah and uh, so there's a, there are about 17 priests 10 Levites a singer and 3 gatekeepers and 84 others from around the nation and uh, the guilty priests offered a ram which is in accordance with Leviticus 5 that's what it provides for and they did that the family names here in Ezra 10 uh, correspond very closely to those that we listed in, in uh, Ezra chapter 2 uh, some of these had children by the marriages and uh, Now, this sounds all pretty good, except you're going to discover the people would again slip into the same kind of sin only one generation later. We're going to encounter that in Nehemiah chapter 3, excuse me, 13, Nehemiah 13. Now, strangely enough, the narrative ends at this point. We're going to have a list of some more names here and so forth, but it uh, is, uh, the message of the book is complete. In order for the people to come back uh, in fellowship with the Lord, they had to be, have proper temple worship, and to live according to His Word. And the temple worship with the first six chapters of Ezra, and uh, to live according to God's Word is the focus of chapters 7 through 10. And so on it goes here. And it lists these various names, and I won't try to mispronounce them all. They're, you can read them with... There, there are no particular names among them that leap out. But it ends at verse 40. All these had taken strange wives. Some of them had wives by whom they had children. And so ends the book of Ezra. And uh, just to give you a little review, uh, we obviously looked at Babylon captivity. started with three sieges. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar's three sieges. And the first siege started the servitude of the nation. And 1st, uh, 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 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles ends with uh, that Babylonian captivity. And uh, we had Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel as the uh, three main prophets during that captivity period. The book of Ezra picks up when the Babylonian Empire ends with the decree of Cyrus, and uh, which starts, of course, the uh, in effect our recognition of the, the Persian Empire. And uh, the primary prophet we haven't spent much time talking about Haggai um, is the prophet that parallels uh, roughly the book of Esther, uh, Ezra. Um, now, the book of Nehemiah is going to pick up, obviously, where Ezra leaves off. Uh, actually, some years later, but still the uh, same situation. And it's going to focus on the decree of Artaxerxes. Different decree, don't confuse it with Cyrus. Cyrus captured Babylon and freed them, ended the, the national, uh, the servitude of the nation, the national captivity. But uh, the decree of Artaxerxes that we're going to encounter in Nehemiah is going to be very profound because it ends the period of the desolations of Jerusalem. It was the third siege of Nebuchadnezzar that starts a 70-year period called the Desolations of Jerusalem. Both the servitude of the nation, desolations are 70 years long, but they're not coterminous. The first siege starts the servitude of the nation, the third siege starts the desolations of the city city itself. Now the whole book of Ezra deals with the struggle to rebuild the temple and to reestablish the national uh, uh, ministerial discipline, the the temple worship and and, uh, following the laws of God. They have nothing but hassles because they don't have the the legal right to protect themselves to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's what Nebu that's what uh, Nehemiah is going to focus on. He's gonna end up getting that authority. And it's under Nehemiah that the city of Jerusalem is the focus. You need to understand many people miss that, that Ezra's really focuses the temple and the worship side. Nehemiah uh his main focus is to reestablish the walls so they can protect themselves. From their enemies and so forth, and that's going to trigger the decree of our Is the thing that triggers the the prophecy that um, Gabriel gave Daniel some ninety five years earlier, and we'll we'll be amplifying that. But so you see, so if you look at Nehemiah as just a follow on of Ezra, that's true, except the focus is quite different. And uh, as an incidental, my, the the book of Esther you can assert in the in the uh, before the final third of the book of Ezra. And uh, it obviously, is another drama within the Persian Empire, that uh, whose uh, whose conclu- whose cl- conclusion makes all this possible, because there was a plot afoot in the Persian Empire to wipe out all Jews that Esther and Mordecai managed to thwart. So, uh, Zechariah is a prophet of Nehemiah, as Malachi near the end of the days of uh, of. of Nebuchadnezzar properly. Let amplify this a little more. It was in 538 B.C. 539 B.C. is when Cyrus conquered Babylon. 538 is when these first 50,000 of Zerubbabel get to return to Jerusalem. It's about 23 years later that the temple is finally rebuilt, modestly, so much so that many of the old-timers wept because such a, it fell so far short from what Solomon had previously done. But the temple was rebuilt about 515 B.C., it's about 57 years later that uh, we have these several thousand that come with Ezra that we've been studying at the end of the book of es- uh, Ezra about. And just for your reference, uh, obviously the book of... Uh, uh, the, what we talked about so far is in the book of Ezra. The book of Esther, she reigned about 483 B.C. So uh, that fits in between, obviously. But we're now going to go, as we get in, in our next uh, session... We'll be going into the book of Nehemiah. That's about 13 years after uh, the, uh, the uh, Ezra's trip to Jerusalem, so about 445 BC. And the key event that will impact you and I there's much there's much more to learn from the book of Nehemiah. But one of the key things is that Nehemiah is uh, going to gain the legal authority from Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall. You may recall that the enemies of Israel under Ezra had gotten Artaxerxes to put a stop to building the wall, but he left a footnote for himself. He gave himself the right to change his mind later, which is a very important clause in the way those things work. And it's that same guy that Nehemiah is going to get the authority to rebuild the wall, and uh, that turns out to be a very, very important thing for you and I because it, it triggers one of the most profound Um, uh, timelines in the scripture and we'll talk about that in the next session
0: you've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler teaching through the book of Ezra for a complete listing of resources available please visit khouse.org You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.